All right, welcome to episode 11 of The Woke Antidote. And before we start today, if you did not check out our emergency woke cast about Disney last week, I'd definitely give that a look. TB, I thought that was a great episode. Yes, I would say we were in rare form that episode. That was uh, some pretty epic ranting on our part. Um, you know, and it was just all a byproduct of just like an absolute week of lunacy. So we just had we were just talking on the side we're like all right this episode needs to be different than our usual laid back more funny humorous type of uh environment we set here we just kind of had to set the record straight and just call this insanity out but i mean it was fun doing it uh i think we should make this a semi-regular uh feature that we do because there's so much wokeness out there so uh you know it'll necessitate another uh fiery woke cast uh from us yeah, that story was just way too much. The the Disney reaction to the bill and then just the the videos of the Disney employees. So that was that deserved uh, a majority of the podcast, which we gave it last week. But we do have a great ep- uh, a great episode for you today, including a story that dropped today. So we'll either get this out to you guys late Monday or Tuesday. But I woke up this morning, TB, and I go in, I, I check my financial news like I usually do, and I look at CNBC, and on my Bloomberg terminal, Elon Musk has bought 9% of Twitter for $3 billion. So this was clearly the biggest news of the day, um, certainly in the media space, certainly in the investment space. Twitter ended up being up 27%, just a massive move. And first, before we really dive into it, I I did want to give some context on what this means from the investment perspective, because I do see a lot of these kind of activist campaigns by um, hedge funds and private equity companies in companies that I look at for my job. But what's interesting about that is usually it's more of something like a three to five percent stake. So Usually when a hedge fund has a stake, you know, in that range, even though it's small, they're going to be one of the top shareholders and that'll be enough to get a board seat or two or actually influence the strategy. Maybe the CEO will actually be swapped out. So these funds that have that much of a stake, they actually force some changes. So when Elon comes in, one guy doing it, so that's certainly rare, but a 9% stake that is just monumental. You almost never hear of a stake that big, at least the initial news. And I certainly wouldn't be surprised if he takes this 9% to a lot more. So first, I wanted to give that context. And then second, so a couple weeks ago, Elon was kind of flexing his free speech muscles. And this is March 25th. He had a poll up. He said, free speech is essential to functioning democracy. Do you believe Twitter rigorously adheres to this principle? And then he, he, he below it, he had the consequences of this poll will be important. Please vote carefully. So the answer to that was 30% yes, 70% no, with 2 million people voting in that poll. Then after that happened, he, he quote tweeted that the next day. And then he said, given that Twitter serves as the de facto public town square, Failing to adhere to free speech principles fundamentally undermines democracy. What should be done? Question mark. And then a, a comment under that is a new platform needed. So 
you know, you could say this is uh, you know, Elon was a lot of all talk and no action a couple weeks ago when he was doing something and he was writing these tweets. This was action. This was nine percent of the company for three billion dollars, which is you know worth another billion today after the move. And the guy might not be done. So TB, when I saw this, I said this is the headline for the episode today. This is massive news and. You know, I'm not sitting here saying I'm 100% thinking that we're great changes are going to come to Twitter and this is going to work out perfectly. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm not believing in anything too crazy, but I think this this has to be looked at as a positive at least to start. No, absolutely right. If you care about uh, freedom of speech, um, then this should be this should, this news should be something you should definitely be excited about. I know there's skeptics out there who will claim that um, Elon Musk is doing this for his own selfish interests and he's going to pump the stock and then take his profits and, and dip out. Um, I, I really don't think that's the case. And uh, as uh, you, you stated, SB, um, he's been kind of, not kind of, he has been hinting at some, some major change here. And this is a very pivotal moment because the strategy or the the thinking on the right was, you know, how do we combat all this crazy censorship uh, from these like very woke Silicon Valley tech companies that are really ruling the country? Um, and the and the strategy was, OK, I guess we're going to have to build our own infrastructure. And that's not easy. That takes billions of dollars to get that that set up. You know, if AWS could one day say, no, we're not going to host your platform. They actually did that with uh, Parler, I believe. They uh, delisted them. So someone would have to create their own internet infrastructure to create these platforms. So they're at a major disadvantage. But now you have someone, and we've talked about this concept before, someone with FU money in the case of Elon Musk. And he has not just created a competitor or an alternative. He's actually literally purchased a major stake a the largest ownership stake of twitter so as sb as you said he can actually drive some much needed change um and you know he's not the only one who said this you know actually jack dorsey very recently made a comment a little regretful about what twitter has become and he and he felt bad about that so even he acknowledges that twitter has gone to such an extreme so you know, and here and here's the thing. It's not even the, like us on the right. We're saying, oh, now now's our chance to turn Twitter into a platform that's going to be perpetuating, uh, you know, right, uh, right thinking or conservative speech or anything like that. Like that, that's actually not what we're saying at all. At least the two of us aren't saying that we really like, just want a open forum. This is a virtual public square. People should be able to ch- exchange ideas with one another and you know the better idea will win out in, in the public square that's just how this that has that has happened over the time over the the, the tale of time so all all that's all we want an even playing field let people speak and i think elon gets that you know elon's not even a conservative he you know he's just a libertarian he calls it he calls balls and strikes that's why you know, we both love him and um you know this is a really exciting moment because um, you know, especially for me being in the tech space, surrounded by all this insanity. Well, now we have someone who's taken over one of the biggest channels of communication. Um, and, you know, he's going to be able to do a lot of good with that. And it's going to be some really interesting uh, uh, byproducts from this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'll be interesting to see how other companies adapt to this or maybe he'll inspire 
other people who are libertarian or right-leaning with money to make similar types of moves. Um, so I think there's going to be a much needed wake up and, and shake up for, for the tech world. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't think it's a pump and dump. And I don't think that specifically because Elon, he's really asking the right questions and making the right statements about free speech. So you mentioned it, the town square. I love that argument. That's one of the best arguments out there. And if you even want to go one step further, I mean, there becomes a question of when is the internet and this platform kind of seen as a utility? So TV, if, if I call you up um, tomorrow and I say something that is construed as racist by someone on the left today, should my cell phone be shut off? I mean, that's kind of what we're debating here, where if it is the new town square, it's sort of like your connection to the outside world is severed if you're not allowed on these platforms. So I don't agree with that. And you could even go one step further and say, well, if if someone is known as is a racist or sexist, should they even be allowed to have an apartment? Should they be allowed to have air conditioning or heating? I mean, it kind of that's the logical conclusion that we're ending up here. And certainly I, I don't think me, me and you would like to think that we are racist or sexist. But just because, you know, we're living in 2022 and we don't think we are in a couple of years, if someone to the further left of Biden takes, uh, you know, takes over the country and is in power, they could claim that we said something that offended them and we should be shut off from these services. So the town square argument's a great one. And then additionally, I, I loved his, his uh, statement that free speech is essential to a functioning democracy because I think the promise of democracy, which everybody loves, or at least everybody claims that they love and people on the left too, is that everybody gets information and then it's up to them to decide. So the responsibility is put on the person in a democracy to sort through all of the media and all of the statements by the politicians and figure out who am I going to vote for? Who do I like best? But if we have media only coming from one side, democracy is simply going to be who's allowed to speak and freely and who's not. And I think that was totally encompassed by his free speech statement. And that is something that I... I don't think enough people are realizing right now is that when you shut off one one part of the political discussion, you're simply going to get the other political uh, party in power. And, you know, we're not seeing that yet. But the crackdown on conservatives that has been going on for years, it's just getting worse and worse and worse now. So, you know, Twitter started it five plus years ago. It was the the far right white supremacist neo-Nazis with horrendous views. Those are the ones kicked off, but it kept on inching and inching and inching a little bit further to the left. And then you had a guy like Alex Jones. You might not agree with them, but he was kicked off. Then you have more conservatives. Then you have like, we like uh Sager who, who does that. Um, who does a show that we like that now he's getting shadow banned. So it keeps on going left and left and left. And then, in five, 10 years, if we, if we didn't have Elon, we're just left with only pre-approved opinions on Twitter. So we need to get him in here, shaking things up. I'd love to see him get a couple board seats and even be in on these meetings. And I mean, hey, maybe make it a little more, um, maybe put some more polls out there. And, and Elon says, yeah, I'm going to a board meeting. What are the top questions you want me to, to ask of these executives? So 
Yeah, I, I think there's really no downside here, which is which is the positive. You we can debate what this might turn into, and and maybe it is a nothing burger, but certainly it's not negative. We, there's only positive positive up from here, I think. Yeah, I mean, and that's been my biggest criticism of Twitter, Facebook, and the like. It's like you know who who anointed them these arbiters of what is right and and or wrong to say. You know they're not any you know specially uh, certified um, or educated on, on what what that is or you know what's allowed and what's not. Um, they are you know a private company that is just flying by the seat of their pants and making up these rules as they go. And you know I think over the course of of humanity. Uh, we have learned, you know, I, I think uh, humans have understood what is acceptable speech and not, you know, it's by the very nature of just basic morals and values. You under, you know, anyone with a, a conscious understands the difference between right and wrong. So you know that violence and hate is wrong. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's very black and white. You know, you people, we can all universally agree on that. But where it gets, you know, a little tricky is when there's nuance. On this show, we talk a, about a lot of you know, very touchy subjects with a lot of gray area. So we'll talk about things like race and sexual orientation. And there's nuance in our conversations and our in our principles where we can, you know, have love and respect for the people that we're talking about and wish them no ill will. But maybe, you know, we come from a different perspective or we think the solution isn't, oh, let's just give these certain groups everything that they want. You know, maybe we take a little more critical eye and, you know, push back a little bit because, you know, while we want the same outcome, we just have a different idea of how it's getting there. But these days, even just being any somewhat critical has been deemed racist or bigoted. And that's, that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. So, that, you know, that's been a big problem with social media these days where they really think that they are the lords of, of speech. And, and that's not right. So you need people like an Elon Musk who are libertarians. They're free thinkers. They can, you know, they they appreciate and embrace speech of all kinds. Um, you know, obviously within those parameters I mentioned, you know, being you know based in morality and and just common sense. But um, I, again, like, as I as I said before, this is a much needed uh, you know shakeup. You know, we we need to go back to a sense of normalcy. Um, and, and SB, you were saying too about you know people monitoring our private conversations. I mean. Look, again, I'm not condoning anything that's hateful or, or anything like that, but let's just be real here as, as adults, you know, talking right now and people listening to the show. We have said things in private over text, in person that we probably aren't proud of, that we probably don't want people to know about or that we wouldn't say publicly, that we say within an inner circle of friends that making a joke or, you know, um, something like that, if, you know, we can't just be, you know, the first one to cast stones here. You know, everyone has done something that they're not proud of. And I don't want to live in a world where I have to be constantly watching over my back and thinking someone's monitoring everything I'm saying. Like, do you understand how, what an artificial world that would create where people just can't be their true authentic selves and be able to talk to people normally? Um, if they're always on guard thinking that there's someone watching them, it, it would become like if you, if you watch the show Black Mirror, it's really reminiscent of that episode where people are scored by their their social clout and they can't you know buy they can't live in certain neighborhoods unless they have a certain score and again like who is the, the people who are assigning that score who who died and made them king who who why are they such these enlightened arbiters of right and wrong and 
you know, it, you know, I know that's kind of like an Orwellian type of, uh, you know, exaggeration. But you, when you see what's going on, I don't think we're, we're going on a path that's far from something that could look, you know, a fr- like a fraction of, of that, you know, that kind of crazy world from Black Mirror. So, you know, all that being said, you know, we kind of got to stop with, you know, people just trying to constantly virtue signal and outdo each other that, oh, I am so progressive or more enlightened or, you know, more accepting than the person next to me. No, let's just be people. Let's talk to one another. Let's be authentic. Let's speak to each other normally. And the good ideas will always rise to the top and the bad ideas, they'll get filtered out. They'll get, they will get shut down on their own because they're not, they're going to find that there's no audience that's going to want to listen to them. And that's just how things work. That's just the beauty of humanity. Yeah, no, no, exactly. And so, so TV, you were talking about the, the society of upvotes and downvotes. I, I was hanging around the, the Bill Simmons subreddit the other day. Oh boy. And I, uh, you know, I, I really don't listen to him anymore, but I used to be a huge fan back in his prime, which I would say was late 2000s, early 2010s. But I, we were debating and somehow we got on the topic of a social credit score and people were upvoting the, the concept of a social credit score and were downvoting me when I said I didn't like it. So that's the sort of example <laughs> where I would basically be penalized with because I, I didn't support this Orwellian state, as you so put. And and I agree. It's it's 1984-esque. It's not a beautiful, it's not a positive world we'd be living in if we can't have these debates. And I think with Elon, you know, if, he's obviously a strange guy, right? I mean, this is of course. <laughs> extremely intelligent, but he's very peculiar. And he doesn't always communicate the best either. But I think if you kind of if you take him mostly at his word, he wants to bring humanity into a new phase. And you might not agree with exactly where he wants to take us, but he he wants a higher level of human ingenuity and technology and consciousness. Ultimately, he wants to be, he wants to level up the world. And I think what he might be finding is that because of all this wokeness going on, it's making his ability to level up the world that much harder because we can't actually have these debates about really important topics because either they're off limits or we're debating all of this stupid wokeness and we're not thinking about how to prosper as humans. So that's kind of my theory on a, a big reason of why he's pushing this. And I would even, you know, another example of why he's probably serious with this is it came after the Babylon Bee, which everyone loves, of course, and Elon has said he loves it. They were suspended from Twitter a couple weeks ago. And Elon was on their podcast um, maybe late December, early 2021. And this is a guy that he's he's rarely on podcasts. He was on Joe Rogan and he was on with these guys, but he doesn't do too much um, media. And he goes out there and sits down with them and had a great conversation. If you listen to that conversation, he lets us know that he is not a fan of the wokeness. So I I think he's serious about it. And I I do think it's it's interesting that, you know, TB, as as we've done this podcast, one of the, the, the key themes that keeps coming up is free speech. We started it with Rogan. We had it with the Canadian protests We're we're now having it here. And it's what you said, like the the, you know, people are going to gravitate towards what they agree with and what what they what they like. And it's not that 
we need to eliminate all points of view. It's we, we need to respect each other as fellow humans and, and fellow countries, really, and say we could present people with all points of view and we can make decisions based on rigorous debate. And, and that's all that we're going for. That's what I want. But unfortunately, that just doesn't seem to be a, a widely accepted view in the in these Silicon Valley companies. And I, I thought it was great. So far, we already have at least one uh, employee that is already quitting uh, because he said that he does not want to uh, basically work for Elon. And and I think what we're, what we're going to find is potentially similar to the Disney situation um, or maybe not Disney, but in, in Florida where some of these teachers are resigning because of that. Don't say gay bill. Um, if we have a lot of woke employees of Twitter resigning because of Elon with the stake, I mean, that by itself is a positive. A hundred percent. Good riddance. You know, you're like the company's better off for it. The world's better off for it. Um, and I think this is just like such a reflection of the average everyday woke person. Um, like I've said before, I work in tech. I am surrounded by this woke craziness, but yeah, I'm fine with it. I can accept the environment that I'm in. I'm okay. I have enough, you know, you know, security in my opinions and views that, um, you know, I don't feel overly challenged by the, you know, these kind of these crazy woke people that I work with, you know, they can have their opinions and I'll have mine, you know, I'll, I'll be annoyed by them, but whatever, like, the, you know, the company can say these woke values and stuff like that. And I'll just roll my eyes and just keep doing my job and working hard and, and, and being a strong member of the team. But on the other hand, now, in this case, with these woke employees of Twitter, the very second that they are they are confronted by a person with opposing views as them own as their own, they immediately their their natural instinct is to run away to to silence that they don't want to to do anything they don't really want to give it a chance, and that's the problem with with wokeism. It's like it's it's incredibly intolerant. Like they always accuse the people on the right of being fascist, but they literally are acting in fascist ways. It's like the greatest irony, and I've I've talked about this before, but that story about that like i saw that tweet from that woke twitter employee saying he's leaving it's like it, this this concept is so lost on them they don't realize what hypocrites that they, they come across as so you know it's it, it's it's better it's better for this you know again you, you made a great point too with florida like i hope that i hope what's going on, on twitter let's just you know you know drain this all out drain you know <laughs> not to quote trump drain the swamp you know get get out all the garbage you know it's you know, we we've had enough. We've let them have their fun, and it's gotten to, to to be too much for. It's gotten to be too much. So let's bring the adults back in. Let's clean this up, and we let we just want a free and open dialogue. That's all we're asking for. I I don't even want Twitter to become right wing. I, I I if it became that way, I would probably go somewhere else because I like reading about different things. I like reading from different perspectives because it makes me a better person for it. I become more educated when I'm thinking about my own principles. It allows me to defend it that much better because I can understand where there's gaps in my logic or where attacks could come from. And I can then be able to defend it better or, you know, support my arguments a little more eloquently. But when we just live in echo chambers, it doesn't serve any valuable you know, service or addition at all. It, it just makes you lazy. It makes you a worse person for it. So, um yeah, that, you you gotta love it. These these uh, these people just are absolutely clueless. But um, 
I'm more than happy to help escort them out of the office. I will help. I'll pay for their Uber home. I will pay their their moving company. Uh, whatever it takes, we, we we need wokeism out of out of tech. Yeah, TB, you'll have to give us the update if you hear any opinions from your colleagues about this Elon situation. We uh, we'll mm-hmm. definitely want to hear it on the pod. And to to, to finish up uh, on this, at least from my perspective, what. What I think Elon realized, and, and you touched on it with what you just said, is that yes, there are alternative platforms. So we we had an account, we have an account on Gab. We have a lot of followers there. Well, we haven't made one for Truth Social or Getter, any of those ones, or Parler. But the the problem that those ones are always going to face is that they're only going to attract a small set subset of people. And that's going to be people that were kicked off of the other, the, other, the other platform like Twitter. So if you go to these sites, it's very much a right-wing site because those are the people that have been kicked off Twitter. And so I think Elon has realized this where you know, maybe another move that he could have done is maybe he would join Truth Social or Getter or Gab and then you potentially bring millions of people with him. But the problem there, it's it's even with millions more people, it's going to be the same situation where the actual town square is not going to be any of these alternative sites. It will be Twitter. And what we need is we need regulation to simply say it is the town square. You know, it's been an amazing business. Everyone that is on Twitter, you just get an incredible amount of information on there. I mean, and like you said, you can get both both points of view. Well, at, at least for now, I mean, as, as they as they take more right views off, increasingly that won't be the case. But it's it's he's realized that there's a serious problem, and yeah, I'm I'm really rooting for him to do well here. Um, you know, I know the we have some Bitcoin followers, and he's he's been pumping Doge before, and so there's not necessarily the greatest opinion of him from some people. But I, I ultimately do think he's. He's taken this a lot more seriously than um, than Pump and Doge. So, yeah, I'm um, I'm pretty pumped up about this. And look, hey, TB, if if he is going to be influencing Twitter, even though these upcoming tweets are ludicrous, they'll still be in the platform. So so there's a couple. So we'll transition to uh, Epic Gaslighting here where. We had just a couple of just incredible economy-based gaslighting from the liberal media. So why don't we start with this one? We have from MSNBC, President Biden's approval rating has fallen to the lowest level of his presidency, despite booming economy, <laughs> according to new NBC News poll. So TB, is the economy booming in your area? <laughs> I don't know what uh, what world they're living in, but uh, <laughs> yeah, certainly not the not the world that i live in uh i wish that was the case um let me know what part of the country this economy is booming i'll move there in a heartbeat um it's it's absolutely ridiculous um sb we actually were talking about this um you know sounds like you're you're trying to get a little uh beach ready get the beach bod going this summer so you got yourself some uh some protein powder and i think didn't you say it was like 40 bucks more than what you paid like a year ago for it um, so it's exa- examples like that is just a, a great uh, example of just how crazy inflation has come. But you you got to love MSNBC and you got to love the, you know, your traditional, you know, cable news, uh, you know, elite media team where even when they're trying, when they're 
covering Biden's falling poll numbers, which is the truth. That's not that's not a opinion. They have to somehow spin it and say, oh, like, you know, he is still doing really good things. So it's kind of nonsensical that his approval numbers are down. You know, were they so quick to defend or even just give a little soft help to Trump when his approval numbers were going down? No, they, you know, they went for broke. They doubled down on it. They said, you know, you know, Trump's numbers are down because he's so horrible, because he's doing all these things, you know, because he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, so it, when you see headlines like this, if you're just a centrist and uh, uh, if, you, if you're don't follow either political aisle or if you're someone on either side, but open to other opinions, you should just really look critically at MSNBC and say, why should I trust anything that they say? This is just, you know, I think North Korea would blush at the amount of propaganda that MSNBC turns out. It's like that headline, it makes your jaw drop that someone could write that and think that that was objective and truthful. It's pure media spin. Um, but it's, you know, what do you, what, what more could you expect from them? Yeah. And, and see, I think that things are so bad now that they do have to start these headlines of couching it. So they really can't spin the fact that the approval rating is terrible. Everybody knows it. I mean, pretty much if you're not a hardcore Dem, you're not approving of, of Biden, because why would you? He, he's failed at almost everything. So they have to start. You know, they can't obviously they're not going to come out with with the double negative, but they have to start couching it. And Washington Post, they did the same thing where I mean, this is a beauty. If it weren't for inflation, Biden's economic performance would be unmatched. Yeah. So that's like, you know, if it weren't for the fat on my body, I'd have an eight pack. <laughs> I mean, what, what are we even doing here? And yeah, you mentioned it. We we were in our group chat today. We were kind of comparing some prices and yeah, protein powder, it's up 20 to 40%. I'd say the the bill for getting meat, whether it's bacon, whether it's steak, ground beef, that's up 20% plus. I mean, these are noticeable expenses. Obviously, gas is going to be in there too. But the beauty, and, and it's sad, but there's beauty in it too. The beauty of inflation is that you can't really lie about it. So the when the media comes out and they try to claim that, oh, the economy is doing well, well, you know, Biden, he always comes out after these job releases and he has these ridiculous stats where he stops or starts like right after the pandemic. So we've gained X number of jobs since then. Or Biden had the best start to presidency. Well, yeah, of course he did, because. You started from a pandemic when our businesses were mandated shut down by the government and then you opened them after you became president. So there's a lot of numbers that they can just fool around with. Yep. They can't do that with inflation. If you go out and you see that your protein powder that you bought on Amazon is up 25% since you last bought it three months ago, there's no amount of spin that says, nope, sorry, that's totally not Biden's fault, and there isn't actually inflation. You're just going crazy. No, I saw on Amazon it's up 25. percent So I thought that's that's the beauty of it because, you know, if it weren't for inflation, yeah. And and what we're seeing too with inflation is I think everybody's heard of shrinkflation, where 
Yeah, you go you go to the the uh, grocery store and you buy a, a bag of chips, and they it previously had you know the the bag filled up all the way. I think that the chip bags are filled up like twenty five percent these days. Not that I'm really buying that many chips anymore, but you know for uh, for special occasions or or whatnot for some snacks, and it's it's just absurd. But TV the the new trend here is called shapeflation. And so we saw this this past week when Toblerone, you know, everyone likes that candy. It's got the triangles. They are now spacing out the triangles further so that there's actually less chocolate in the candy bar. So with inflation raging, they're trying to get creative with it. But no, we, we see you shapeflation. <laughs> yeah, I, the the. Uh the biden economic performance stuff that that stuff like it i can feel like another tb rant starting to brew um i'm gonna be mindful of that and save that for another episode or maybe later in the pod but uh that nothing annoys me more when i just keep hearing about biden's quote unquote economic success uh, or economic performance um i mean we've talked about this before to say that, to claim he has been successful in the economy, that means you have to literally ignore that there was a global pandemic for the past two years, where if everything shut down for at least the very first year, and all these jobs were lost, and you know the economy took a major hit, and now that things are rightfully opening back up as people are more vaccinated and we've learned more how to combat this virus... Um, these jobs are just naturally coming back now and the economy is starting to heal. It would be healing a lot faster if it wasn't for this administration, but I, 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 I digress. But uh, to, to say that this is all happening purely because of Biden's economic genius, it, it's you have to be ignoring reality to even think that's remotely true. So I, I, I have no patience for that at all. But no, Biden's going to go down. There, there's a lot of different factors. If you look at studies and polls, he literally has under 50 percent approval on a majority of, of polls. Actually, I would probably I think it's all all uh, categories. He's under he's below 50 percent. But when it comes to the economy specifically, I think he will be one of the worst performing presidents in American history. Um, there's just no denying the what he has done to our economy. It's going to take. In my, I'm not an economic uh, expert here, so uh, SB, I'll, I'll lean more on you here. So keep me honest, but I think we're probably going to need about like a decade's worth of uh, administrations and just conscious effort to dig us out of the hole that we're in. We're spending trillions and trillions of dollars like it's it's made out of air, and you know we keep kicking the can down the road, but eventually someone's going to need to pay for it. Um, so I, he's been in such an unmitigated disaster in that area. It really makes me concerned for the, the future health of our country. I, it's like a house of cards and you're just waiting for any second for the bomb to fall out. But yeah, that's, uh, I'm going to keep it there because I'm going to, I know I'm going to start ranting, but, uh, <laughs> that, that's such a lazy defense of, of Biden. There's nothing genius that he's doing with the economy. It's been a complete disaster. Well, and of course, these were the same publications that six months ago when inflation was, you know, it's a little bit higher, high, but it wasn't as bad as it is now. It, it was actually, yeah, a little bit of inflation is a good thing. So what ended up happening in the six months now, it's not a good thing. Now, 
it's actually not even Biden's fault. So it's uh, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. The the good news is people are are figuring it out. And one way people are combating inflation is buying some Bitcoin. That's right. So this has been seen as an inflation hedge for a while. And if if you think back to March 2020, when you know initially every, all all assets got completely crushed, but then it was known that we were about to print a boatload of money to try to get out of this. Uh, we printed several trillion dollars. Uh, Bitcoin's up from maybe the low was was three thousand at the exact lowest, but it was something like five six thousand for a couple weeks there in March twenty twenty, and we're almost at fifty k. So you know we started the pod; it was around thirty seven k. 10 episodes, 11 episodes ago, and we've kind of continued making progress here. And news this week could possibly be popping out of the Bitcoin conference. So this is one, this is a celebrated event every year in Miami. And you've got your typical who's who of the conference talking. So it's your top authors, your podcasters, investors in the space. So people that follow Bitcoin generally going to know a lot of the people there. What did catch my eye this time around, there's some athletes that I think actually buy into what Bitcoin is. And so we've talked about Aaron Rodgers in the podcast before. Odell Beckham Jr. is speaking as well, as well as Rodgers. We have uh, Dave Portnoy speaking as well. Not sure what that's going to be about, but (laughs) sure, have him speak. And then we've got some other guys, like well-known guys, like Peter Thiel, um, co-founder PayPal, way back when, part of the PayPal mafia. Um, he's been a staunch supporter of Trump and some of the Trump-esque candidates running in, in 2022. So I, I think it's very possible we can get some good news out of this conference. And recall for, for the listeners, this was the conference last year that was was when the first time El Salvador said they were about to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. So don't know too much yet if there's going to be some fireworks. There are some rumors if we can get to, but I'm pretty excited for what comes out of this. Yeah, um, exactly right. Like last year's conference was super exciting. And yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, a much smaller country, um, but it, that was still huge news. The first country to take the leap of faith and accept Bitcoin as legal tender. So, um, you know, they saved it for that Bitcoin conference. So, you know, who who knows? Maybe we have another country announced too. You know, I think that might be more wishful thinking, but I would expect some good, uh, so, some some fun news or exciting news coming out of this. Maybe we see a a pump that you know coincides along with it. Um, again, that's me <laughs> wishful thinking, but I mean it has shown that uh, that tends to happen. And also you know, historically, Bitcoin tends to perform quite well over the summer so as we're heading into you know spring and, and in the summer then you know it's a nice alignment of the stars um i do think it's funny with uh, dave portnoy speaking at this because i mean if you love him or hate him but if you if you listen to him the guy uh he's not a financial expert by any means um, i know he legally has to say that to protect himself but he there's also a lot of truth to it he kind of does investing more as uh, his gambling fix and it's the same with Bitcoin. But uh, for those who don't know too much about his history of Bitcoin, he used to own Bitcoin for a little while, then he sold it at a major loss. And then now he's back in. Um, but look, like 
you know, he, he can come on speak at this and he's a guy with a major platform. He, he has a lot of, uh, millennials and Gen Zers who who really follow him. So there might be people who don't really know much about Bitcoin or kind of on the fence about it. So um, from an exposure perspective, having someone like him on is going to be uh, you know pretty cool and, and really helpful to, to raise more awareness. Um, but also what I'm really most curious and interested to see coming out of this conference is, you know, we're hearing a lot about um, you know, just kind of the innovation in the space, how, you know, we're, you know, they're trying to mine Bitcoin in cleaner ways and use energy more, you know, efficiently. Um, we're hearing about more funds that are propping up Bitcoin. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're learning more about, you know, like the metaverse and how cryptocurrency and blockchain technology fits into that, how it fits into uh, the future of just technology to begin with or, di- or different sectors like healthcare, um, you know, uh, uh, finance, etc. So um, I think we'll see a lot of stuff about that. And that's what gets me really excited, because um, as we always shared, you know, I still think we're kind of in the early stages here. We're setting the foundation. Um, so, you know, maybe you know, step one was just getting Bitcoin you know, aware um, and just getting people out there. Step two now is refining on it, making it more efficient, uh, you know, really innovating the technology. Um, so it's I, I think we're you know, there's still a long journey ahead, but it's exciting to kind of see the evolution of it. Um, and uh, th- this conference always has some really exciting stuff coming out of it. And I certainly expect more to come out of this week. Um, so if people do day trade uh, Bitcoin, which I don't recommend, but if you do, Maybe now is a good chance to uh, to buy now, and then uh, maybe you'll see a nice little pump uh, during that week, and then you can uh, cut off some profits. <laughs> well, hey, the the last pod we did, uh, we started recording, and Bitcoin was forty five k, and then by the time we finished recording, it was like forty six point five, and then it was forty eight a few hours later. So we were uh, we were rightly bullish then, which which was pretty good. But I think you're right on about the technology. And one that's been getting a lot of attention recently is potentially Apple using the Bitcoin Lightning Network. So, yes, that sounds pretty intense, but there's been some rumors and speculation and maybe it's just faint Twitter speculation. But the idea is that you've got a company like Apple. They have devices, hundreds of millions of devices around the world. If Apple can take your phone and turn it into a bank account, think about how lucrative that business would be for them. They could make trillions of dollars. Now, they sell tons of phones, but Apple's all about adding services on because I think they're, they're pretty smart people over there. They understand that maybe one day their phone technology could be usurped, and so they need other revenue streams besides the iPhone. So there's been, been kind of speculation that maybe Apple would uh, would use the Bitcoin Lightning Network, which is a second layer of Bitcoin to facilitate transactions at much cheaper cost than, for example, a credit card. Well, last Thursday, I'm working, I'm sitting on my uh, Bloomberg terminal, and I, I see a news story hit, hit the, the wires, the big, bold letters, that Apple's working on bringing uh, financial payments in-house. And what that story alluded to, it didn't allude to Bitcoin or Lightning Network, but it but it gave the information out that Apple, they're not they don't want to use a lot of these intermediaries that they're currently using for credit cards or financial payment systems that they currently use, whether it's Goldman Sachs, whether it's other companies. 
they want to do a lot more of that within Apple themselves. And you can understand why it's going to save them billions, if not more, on transaction costs that they have to pay in order to have these services so that people can use, for example, Apple credit cards. So when that news hit the wire, Bitcoin immediately jumped up about at least 500 bucks, maybe it was like 47 to high 47s. And look, it's very high, high speculation. It, you know, maybe it doesn't happen. It probably doesn't happen. But I think this is the type of announcement that we wouldn't be surprised to see because you've got 20,000, I think, people there. You've got the brightest minds in the game. And, you know, whether it's Apple, whether it's someone else, whether it's a new country, like you mentioned, um, there was a rumor that the Brazil central bank chief was in Miami for the conference. Um, Naib Bukele, the El Salvador leader, he's going to be there. So is potentially El Salvador going to have some additional news? Might another country near El Salvador join them on stage to say that they're doing the, the legal tender law as well? We just don't know, but... Um, we do know that Miami is going to be popping off this week and um, we, we will be attuned to the news and, and we will keep the listeners, um, you know, with any big news that drops, we'll, we'll be talking about it next podcast. Yeah. Um, well, one last note here, and it's actually not directly related to this Miami conference, but a personal story that I shared with SB, um, this, this has actually made me feel really bullish about Bitcoin. I actually bought a little bit uh, more after this happened. Um, but we uh, at work, we have a company that, you know, oversees and manages our 401k accounts. And um, they had a meeting with our with our company to kind of just do a check in and alleviate concerns about the current market and uh, conditions and the inflation going on. Um, I guess they were seeing people uh, either pulling out of their 401k accounts or just contributing less. So they're trying to alleviate those concerns. But there was one moment in this in this presentation where the guy who was talking is obviously he was a very educated uh, financial expert. I think they even brought him from out of house. You know, I think they brought him on just as a guest speaker. Uh, but he clearly was very well educated, but he was an older gentleman. Um, and it was very apparent by the comments that he was making that um, he is not a cryptocurrency expert by any means. He uh, is probably uh, only, you know, you know, somewhat uh uh, some uh, somewhat familiar with Bitcoin, but um, definitely someone who's kind of uh, is an outsider and would probably does not own any Bitcoin. But he did say this because someone asked him about cryptocurrency, and they said that their initial response with cryptocurrency was that it was too speculative, that you shouldn't put your eggs in that basket, that it was you know you could lose all your money, and they were advising against it. But he said these days now though, cryptocurrency has gotten to be too big to ignore. And he said now that uh, they advise their clients that they are almost be missing out uh, now if they don't own any cryptocurrency. So, again, this is a, a guy who uh, is was much older, um, but um, he was you know, he was advising a more of a conservative uh, allotment to your portfolio in cryptocurrency. Uh, but I think even that when you have these really just uh, institutional and just. Uh, these very you know, legacy type of companies and uh, you know, what comes with it, a lot of legacy type of thinking. If they're even just waking up now saying, as he said, it's too big to ignore. That makes me feel incredibly bullish about this. Um, and like I said, after that meeting went, I went on Coinbase and bought a little bit more. <laughs> so 
Um, it, it, you know, it, there's a lot of really good news coming, and SB and I have, you know, we're not we're, we're not creating these models and saying, oh, we pre- predict that Bitcoin's going to be the high and low is going to be this price on this day. You know, um, we're not those type of people, but we feel like there's just too much good news these days that we're just, you know, waiting for another all time high. You know, I, I feel like it's coming. I, you know, I think this summer we're going to be very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and I I, I think that there's there seems to be, you know, any number of headlines or statements where if this one headline hits, the price is about to explode. And it, it, it almost seems like maybe we already got one of those with Russia, Ukraine, when Canada was sort of the warm up. But with the Russia, Ukraine crisis, Bitcoin was being used both with Ukraine and with Russia. So on one hand, the donations were flown into Ukraine with ease. And you couldn't do that with any other form of money. And then on the other hand, the USD sanctioning of Russia has set off an almost chain reaction around the world where everyone is now evaluating whether they actually want to hold US dollars. And Russia specifically is evaluating whether they should go big into Bitcoin mining and start accepting Bitcoin in exchange for energy. So this is probably what's caused a lot of the upward movement lately, in my opinion, and there's, you know, a bevy of other headlines that could do it. Apple, the the, the thing we talked about, that could easily um, shoot this thing up. So, yeah, and, and we've talked about it in the pod before. If you don't own some, at least read up about it, at least be familiar with it. Because, like, the person you, you were talking with, it is it is getting just too big. And to, to put a bow on, on the topic, you, you know, the, the 401ks that people have these days... There, I'm pretty sure there's what's called a real asset fund where it's that, that the fund's kind of designed to hold its own value and maybe it's got real estate or um, it's got gold or it's got forestry, timber. So I think typically some your your 401k asset allocation, you will have the option of a real asset fund that is designed to basically appreciate like real assets do. So if you have that fund out there, should be more than reasonable if we had a Bitcoin ETF one day, if the SEC eventually approved it, um, it would be more than reasonable for 401ks to have a Bitcoin ETF. You know, and I've, I've been at multiple companies with multiple 401k um, options. You know, some companies there might be five, six, seven. I, I've seen some companies with 50 plus funds in your 401k. So if you're telling me that, I can choose 50 stock funds, one Bitcoin fund, that should be more than reasonable. And when you've got sponsorship from companies like Fidelity, I know, I think Fidelity even, um, they mine Bitcoin themselves potentially, but they've been into it. And, and you can read research from Fidelity saying that they really think Bitcoin is going to be a huge deal and worth a lot more in the future. So if you had a sponsor like Fidelity saying, yep, we're, we're going to offer it to all of our 401k holders when the SEC approves a Bitcoin ETF, think about that retirement market, trillions of dollars out there that could eventually allocate 1%, 3%, 5%. And TB, like like we both know, typically when you start at 3 to 5%, you end up going a lot more in the future whether that is due to price appreciation, whether that's due to understanding it more. Um, typically, people don't stop at 5%, I guess, is what I'm trying to say here. So yeah. I think that's great. And, and then on Portnoy, I, I, know, I think you kind of nailed it on him where 
him and Elon, you know, the Bitcoin community, and, and I fully consider our, ourselves part of it, but the Bitcoin community has their faults with Elon and Portnoy, and I've had it as well. But I think you've got to understand the perspective of a guy like Portnoy, where he is well off enough in life where he doesn't have to get Bitcoin, right? So he's out there trading stocks. He's got Penn stock worth tens of millions. Inflation, not really a concern for him. So he's out here and he doesn't, you know, if he didn't invest in Bitcoin, he, he'd probably be fine. But the fact that he has now heard about it several times, I think he heard about it in the 2017 runoff. I remember that being a big topic of discussion at Barstool. I think it might have been summer 2020. The Winklevoss twins went over to his house and were trying to pitch him on Bitcoin. And maybe in 2022, he's finally gotten it and understands the use case. Now, we may not that that may not be the case. We'll see what he talks about at the conference. But is it really a surprise that it might take someone two, three, four times to hear Bitcoin and then finally get it? I didn't get Bitcoin the first time I heard it. I don't think you did either. Nope. So we can't be out here being highly critical of this guy that could spread the word to millions of his followers that a lot of them probably need it. We can't be that critical of it. Yeah, we're, we want to steer him in the right direction and give him good insight. But let's not be too hard on the guy if he eventually comes out to where where we're at, which is amazing inflation hedge, potential store value for decades, if not hundreds of years, that can be worth trillions more dollars. I think it's it's reasonable to give people a learning space because no one got it a hundred percent the first time they heard about it. Yeah, exactly right. That's that's such a good point. Like when Bitcoin first came out, I thought it was like such a joke. I was like, oh, you had to be, you'd have to be an idiot to buy Bitcoin. And this was when it was worth $100 at the time, which really pains me to, to say. But uh, God, if I had just bought, uh, just put like a grand on that, I'd be very happy right now. But whatever. Uh, I've learned my lesson and that's why I'm buying now uh, for substantially more money. But whatever. It's neither here nor there. Um, but yes, lots of exciting stuff. Um, but you know, as we, as we move along here on the show, but, uh, staying in Florida, um, we, uh, moving into my favorite segment, I think SB is your favorite as well, but we had some, we have some, uh, epic woke in the wilds these days. So, uh, Eric Adams, um, he is the new mayor of, uh, New York city. He's actually, uh, taking his salary in Bitcoin or at least a, a good part of it. So I guess I can't be too critical of him, but, uh, regardless, he is putting up uh, sponsored billboards in uh, Miami to uh, attract people who are upset with the parental rights bill um, to move to, to, to New York where they're allowed to say gay. Um, so that is just some epic woke in the wild. Um, you know, I think like if you live in Florida, you should be all for it. Like, fine, get these crazy people out of here. If they're really like that uneducated, don't didn't read the bill um clearly don't understand that it, that it doesn't say anything about uh gay or anything like that if they want to corrupt if these people want to corrupt the, the the minds of children then sure if I'm, I'm if i'm a floridian yeah please if you're upset by this please move to new york um me living in this area i won't be happy about it because i'm surrounded by enough of this insanity but uh like that that is just uh that's some some insane insane wokeness out there 
Um, I mean, look, uh, living up here, I would much rather be living in Florida right now. Uh, in fact, I, you know, I've, I, I think one day I will move down there. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of reasons for that, but I think just being a state where you can say whatever you want to, and you're not a, you know, surrounded by uh, these, these woke idiots telling you how to think and what to say. Um, that sounds like a big win for me. So yeah, Eric Adams, keep a, yeah, use our, our hard-earned tax money to, to put up these billboards, but maybe you'll make Florida a, a much nicer place for me when I eventually move there. Yeah. And, and it really shows the difference in thinking of the liberal mayors versus the more conservative ones. So you have, why, like, why is Miami doing so well right now? And it's because it's taking in refugees, essentially, from New York City and San Francisco, mostly, that they don't like the local politics of those uh, cities where in San Francisco, I mean, it's dis- it's disgusting. It's not clean. It's not safe. You have needles and human feces outside of the headquarters of these big tech companies. And the big tech companies themselves have gone extremely woke, as we've talked about previously in the pod. So Miami kind of offers a fresh start and offers the option to not have Democrat politics be invading your life all the time. It doesn't help. I mean, it doesn't hurt that it's a, it's a nice city in terms of the, the things to do and the climate. Certainly, when you compare it to New York City, that's a big change. And the problem with the libs is that you have the conservatives who who said, you know what, Miami, we are going to be open for business. So you business leaders, you create wealth. What do you need from a city? What do you want from your local government? And we'll give it to you because we want entrepreneurs and intelligent people coming to this city to make it a great place. Whereas the contrast is you have people in these liberal cities. Eric Adams apparently feels like putting up billboards of just the word gay a thousand times is the equivalent and going to help people move to his city instead of actually enacting policies that better their lives. So it's conservatives are the action where it's a great city for a variety of reasons that they specifically have laid out in Miami versus all talk and social justice and signaling by the liberal mayors that they simply think by doing the same thing that the host at the Oscars did and all the celebrities everywhere just saying gay, gay, gay or writing gay, gay, gay. It's, it's not even funny. I mean, it's not even creative. It's been done before, and I think I think even gay people in Miami are just going to have a laugh at this and not even think twice about ever moving back to San Fran or moving to New York City. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, now, now taking us back to New York City, though, we saw some, some ec- other wokeness there as well. Um, and again, if you're from New York City, uh, wokeness is... Uh, a very frequent uh, occasion here, sadly, but um, there was a top New York City health official who uh, sent out some tweets um, where she referred to white uh, women as birthing people and black and Hispanic people, uh, a black and Hispanic women as mothers. So you have to, you know, I was kind of reading that. I was like, what is the what is like the, the the objective here? Why is she using such selective language? So she's doing one thing where she's playing 
identity politics showing the difference between you know, white, black, Hispanic. Uh, but then she's also she's also bringing in this concept of um, identification, you know, so, you know, uh, sexual orientation. So saying that if you're a white person and you are a woman, you have to be referred to as a birthing person. Um, but then you are calling them the correct term <laughs> mothers for the other, for the minority communities. So it, it's really, it's really, uh, you really have to question that it's really puzzling. Um, but th- that just kind of shows you that um, it's how to, out of touch these people are. And it makes you think that there's some kind of agenda underneath the surface here. Um, so it's really confusing to me, but, um, when you read something like that, it's like, this person just sounds like an idiot. Like, I think that's my, one of my biggest complaints about woke people is that they try to use these, you know, these fancy buzzwords that they learned in college and they pretend that there's like these, uh, enlightened luminaries for whatever reason that that may be. But just because you say fancy words does not mean that what you're saying makes sense or that, or they're rational. Um, you're still a crazy person. You're still someone who uh, should not be listened to. You're still someone in need of serious education. So I don't know. That one gave me a good laugh. It's just like, it's one of your classic, just like woke headlines that we, we see more and more these days. But um, again, if you laugh at it, then uh, it'll, it'll, uh, pe- people will just like wake up to just how insane takes like this are. Well, and you have to wonder where are these people coming from? Because I, me and you clearly wouldn't have this perspective. We're conservative, but the average centrist or typical liberal Democrat wouldn't have this view. They're being indoctrinated somehow, some way. And it's probably a, a lot of it's the colleges where you, you go to these institutions and it's just extreme wokeness all of the time. And, you know, they they have huge programs dedicated to, you know, the major isn't wokeness, but it might as well be. So, you know, and they carry that into the real world. And for the longest time, a, a GOP talking point would be, you know what, let the kids have their fun in college, because when they get to the real world, they can't be that woke. They can't be that far left. They'll, they'll get with the real picture. Well, in, in reality... The opposite actually happened. They they internalized the wokeness they learned in college and now, unfortunately, high school and probably middle school. And they're now perpetuating that in institutions of extreme power. So that's just extremely concerning that these people are out there. And, you know, I think another thing, TB, you know, when we were in college and before it, like John Stewart, very popular. Right. So this guy yep. was on Comedy Central him and Colbert had an hour late at night and your typical college student, I would, I wouldn't even say liberal. I'd just say your typical college student basically got their news from Jon Stewart. And they, they thought at the time that this guy has a pulse on the issues and he, he didn't always call out both sides, both sides. He clearly called out the Republicans much more, but he would mix in some Democrat calling out here and there. But unfortunately I, I think he is now back in business and he is perpetuating this extreme wokeness again because he's got this new show. It's called The Problem with Jon Stewart. And his latest show, TV, was called The Problem with White People. So first, imagine that headline with any other race. And 
the guy is banned from the air eternally, never to never to come back. And then second, the show basically was saying that all white people are racist. So we're in this world where people, whether they're white, whether they're any race, they, they commit heinous crimes. And we're always being told you can't group people together. It's the, you have to judge someone individually. Well, that's not what Jon Stewart and, and the other people that are woke are doing. They're judging all white people as racist. And it's interesting if you contrast a guy like Stewart, who's just now come back, to a guy like Bill Maher, who, look, I think both of us have our issues with Bill Maher, but he's basically been doing the same show for 30 years now. He had a show on ABC before his HBO show. And his views have pretty much always be consistent, have always been consistent. And he, he's a liberal for sure, but he now gets a lot of play from conservatives and Fox News will put his segments on their TV. And, and he had a sit down with Ben Shapiro recently talking how he is not the one who has changed. The left has changed. They've uh, the, the left is going woke in all these aspects, all the things we talk about in the pod. And he just calls it like it is. And so people actually think that he's conservative now and because he's not going along with the woke insanity. Whereas with Jon Stewart, unfortunately, it seems like he's gone the other way. And he is now doing exactly what the people in power want. And he's saying that he's trying to divide us by race. And so it's really unfortunate that we have people that were, were comedians. I think we have to look back at Jon Stewart's career now and say, was he really always that funny in, in taking down Republicans or, or was he always just basically perpetuating what the liberal elite wanted him to do? And he's doing the same thing now. And it turns out we're just so woke that now now he's got the white fragility, white people are all racist angle. Yeah, that that interview uh, between Bill Maher and Shapiro was was actually really, really good. Um, definitely uh, encourage people to take a listen if you haven't. Um, so as SB, as you said it, Bill Maher, he's someone for my entire lifetime I've strongly disagreed with. Uh, in fact, I would say in my younger years, I you know, definitely like, intensely disliked him because of the things that he would say and how he kind of, you know, he, he still is kind of guilty of this. He kind of comes across a little pompous that he's holier than thou and all that, but whatever. I mean, it happens. And if you're a big TV personality, um, it's easy to get that way. I know there's people, there's folks on the right who certainly are the same way too. So I can't you know, knock him specifically on that. But what I've noticed is over time, he's, he's really pleasantly surprised me where he's made criticisms of woke things that are happening or talking about the Democrat party going a little too far. I'm like, wow, like, you know, I wasn't expecting that from someone like him. That's like a, that's pretty nice to hear. So in this interview with Shapiro, he made a really good point. He's like, look, like I haven't changed. I still have the same principles that I've, that I've stuck by for, for my life. You know, the only thing that's changed is that the culture has changed. The world has changed. Society has changed. And um, that's why it sounds like the things that he, he's saying sound so crazy and extreme and right wing these days when they're actually just 10 years ago, actually maybe even less than 10 years. What he, he says now was, you know, just mainstream Democrat liberal type of speech. So that just shows you how extreme the left has gone. Um, so it was really interesting to hear his perspective because it really puts it in context. 
where it's not like, yeah. So if you, if you listen uh, to Bill Maher or if you've been paying attention to what he's said over the years, um, you know, he's, you know, you, I, I, I disagree with the majority of what he says, but something that I really appreciate and respect about him is that he has principles and he sticks by them for better or worse, you know, but at least he's not a hypocrite. You know, he, you, what you see is what you get. And we need more of that because when you have someone like a Bill Maher, when they have those principles, you can engage that person. You can have a civil debate with them and learn from one another. You know, talking to someone who disagrees with you or some different political ideology there's a strong chance that they aren't going to change your opinion. Let's be realistic here. But hey, you walk away from that conversation having some newfound respect for for that person or that point of view. And you really understand that, you know, what they want, you know, they're not coming from any place of malice or, you know, they're not trying to get one over you and control your life. And, you know, any of the things that we may accuse liberals of being, you may realize like that they're actually, there's a lot of good there. They just have their the actions that they think are necessary to achieve that we strongly disagree with, but you know, that they want, we all want the same thing. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, instead our culture, sadly, we just kind of like shut down and we demonize each other and there's no conversation to be had. So look, you know, I'm all for, for more, for more people like Bill Maher, you know, he, you know, what, what he said, you know, what he's saying now is no different than what he said in the past. He's, a classical liberal um he he sticks by his convictions and it just shows just how extreme the left has gotten uh it should really just be a wake-up call that you know it's time to just stop with this you know i don't know why we've gone to such an extreme i i do hope and think a correction's coming but we need more people like bill maher to speak out because it just it really just sets the right the proper context and uh, it makes people realize that, okay, you know, enough is enough. It's a, a time to go back to uh, some semblance of normalcy. Yeah. And on that note, one thing that Bill Maher would, would not put up with, I don't think, and most liberals wouldn't, is we had a libs gone too far this week where I just still can't believe this is even a story where a medical student or person in training they missed someone's vein purposely, so they had to inject them a second time when a patient made in fun of pronouns on the name tags. Now, if you're a medical professional, you you can't have any wokeness in your field. You need to be treating everybody. And we could even bring this way back to the, to the beginning of the pod when I talked about free speech and it's like the town square and do they shut off the, 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 the telephone for quote unquote racists? Well, you could, you could say something similar for this. Do we shut off medical care for transphobes? Because that's kind of essentially what this medical student was doing where it was, I don't agree with you politically. I think it is such a morally repugnant view to have that I am going to cause you harm. And this has no place in America. This is third world country stuff at best. I mean, this has no place anywhere around the world. And I can't believe this; these things are actually happening. Unfortunately, we there's probably more of this happening that we just don't know about, which is really sad. But when when the wokeness is infecting the medical community, that's when you know it's gone too far. I mean, T- TB, it's one thing if there's some wokeness in media – that adults are watching and, you know, I'm sitting at home watching 
a show like Always Sunny. I, I, I used to love that show. And now they're so woke and they're always kind of parroting. Yeah, they're making fun of it somewhat, but a lot of times they're 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 really trying to play it safe because they don't want to offend the woke crowd. So, all right, that's that's an adult watching a TV show, not getting so much enjoyment out of it. A medical professional purposely hurting someone, that is just a whole nother uh, situation that we just really should try to avoid. So, yeah, w- when I saw this, I knew we had to talk about it in the pod because I just couldn't believe it. And I don't really have anything funny to say about it. It's just really sad that this yeah. is where the country is right now. Yeah, and, and this isn't just one story. Um, you know, I remember uh, during when the when the pandemic was really bad, um, and even actually, I've I've still heard similar comments. There were literally doctors and nurses who said that um, they wished unvaccinated people died, or they wouldn't take care of them if they came to the hospital needing a resp- uh, a respirator or anything like that. So it's like really like evil, malicious stuff. Um, And I kind of I have some like really good uh, personal insight into uh, doctors in the medical field. My sister's in med school right now. When you when you enter the medical field, you take a Hippocratic oath. You are supposed to accept patients of all religions, races, creeds, uh, philosophies, etc. Your mission is to take care of people and heal them. Um, That is the oath that they take on. And the way that our culture has become it's 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 is really just kind of broken down to this like terrible state where these people who take on that oath they are willing to turn a blind eye to that and let someone die and suffer simply because they disagree on politics like just think about that that con like that that principle here like that that is like really really disgusting and appalling it makes me really concerned that has, you know, has, has wokeism poisoned the medical field now? You know, like, do I have to, if I need a major surgery, do I need to, you know, watch what I say because maybe they'll mess something up during the operation? Is my life at risk now? I mean, these are serious questions you have to consider now um, because pe- people just really, there, there's a lot of hate there. They really hate people that they disagree with. And how can you, like, I don't, if you're listening to the show and you're a Democrat, um, how can you how can you think that's healthy you know like if i'm if i'm in the street and there's someone who you know is let's say they're a uh you know someone who works at planned parenthood or they're a member of black lives matter or you know they worked on joe biden's campaign but if they're on the street and let's say they're getting mugged and they're an innocent victim i'd like to think that I would just rush in and try to help that person. I, do, I wouldn't care that there's someone I disagree with. That is a human person worthy of value, worthy of respect, worthy of life. And I'm going to help that person. And there, there's nothing else to it. Yeah, I can help you. And then later on, I find out you're someone I disagree with. And I'm like, oh, like, uh, what a jerk. But when it comes to like just the fundamental humanity of someone, you, you can't lose that. And sadly, that's been lost. So yeah, you, you, it's it's really sad to see that because you know it's you you think the medical field is like kind of the one bastion of uh, of humanity we have left, but I mean, sadly, it looks like even that one's getting poisoned. Yeah, you really hate to see it, and I hope this is universally panned, and we we end up not hearing any more of these stories. But 
I am uh, I am not convinced this is this is uh, the end of it. So we do want to we do want to end the show with uh, some some hilarity here. And so this is kind of a, a, a woke slash sports corner. And we got to talk about Colin Kaepernick TV, where this guy, I mean, he's just gone incredibly woke for a while. Got paid a lot for it by by Nike and a lot of the uh, the the companies he was advertising for. But apparently that well has run dry because Colin, he wants his shot back in the NFL. And it would be one thing if the guy was apologetic and saying that I shouldn't have called the NFL racist and I shouldn't have gone on this crusade and I actually want to be in a team and, you know, maybe I can start as a backup, work my way up, and I, I think I have something to prove. But no, this guy comes out and he says that not only does he want to make it back into the league, he wants to start and lead a team to the championship. Now, this is a guy that just recently distinctly compared the NFL to slavery, complete with a, I think it was a, a Netflix show where he had a video of black players at the NFL combine and then had them walk and it transitioned to it was like they were at a slave show being traded. So to me, this is it's just another example of the people that are going this woke. A lot of times they don't even mean it. It's that race. It, it's it sells to be woke. It sells to be anti-racist when you're really actually not anti-racist. And this guy is just going where the bucks are, in my opinion. And the fact that he's he's coming to the NFL so soon after we can take everything he said for the past five years and throw it out the window. Doesn't mean anything totally meaningless. So this guy, I mean, look, I don't know if he's still good enough. I think if you took everything away from him, maybe he would be good enough to be a backup. He did have some, some positives in his career, but it's just another example of he, he went woke, then he went broke and, and now he's trying to apologize his way back in the league. Yeah, uh, you, you gotta love it. Um, like he's it, it's, he's the ultimate grifter. He realized that you know being anti-America and just calling everyone racist was very profitable, um, and he decided to go down that route. I think he also was like dating someone. Uh, I'm not sure if he's still with her, but her history is also just an extreme radical. So he was probably heavily influenced by her. But, like, look at the stats of him when he was an NFL quarterback uh, leading up to his departure from the league and when he started going, you know, taking the knee and all that. He was one of the worst-performing quarterbacks statistically. He had that one nice run into the Super Bowl, but the following year he was in the bottom of most categories in statistics. Like He was a turnover machine, highly inaccurate. Um, he was He's just not good. If he was good, he'd be back in the league. It's not his politics or his race that's stopping him from doing that. There's plenty of black quarterbacks in the league. There's nothing to do with that. It's that, you know, he's not that very, he's not that good. And also he's just not being, he's not worth the distraction that he'll bring to the team. So, um, you know, if, if you, know, you look at someone like a Kyrie Irving, huge locker room distraction, but he's so good. So teams are willing to take a gamble on that and, and, and still, and still take him on. But Kaepernick isn't worth it. And it's kind of this like principle of just being like a grifter that re- it, it reminds me of like Ibram X. Kendi. Um, I've been a big <laughs> critic of his, 
but he'll say things like capitalism is, um, you know, capitalism is racist. And then he'll go on and charge uh, these 25,000 per hour uh, speaking fees when he's at, uh, if he's speaking to corporations or universities, he'll charge tens of thousands of dollars for an hour of his time, sometimes even less than that. Like I saw one contract from a university where they, he charged him uh, 25000 for a 45-minute speech. So he seems, you know, as he says he hates capitalism, but he surely seems to be benefiting from it a lot. Um, and actually, SB, as we were literally just talking about this, I, Defiant Ls just came out with an, an amazing tweet that's like perfect for this topic. So they have a tweet from Black Lives Matter from back in uh, December of last year that says capitalism doesn't love black people. And then uh, reported today by the New York Post, um, it was reported that Black Lives Matter used donations to buy a $6 million Southern California home. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's just so perfect. These people are just, they're grifting, they're they're grifters, and, and people let them get away with it. Like, they they don't bring anything of value to the conversation. They just say everything's racist. They're not trying to do anything, uh, you know, positive in the world. And because people feel guilty and they they and people don't want to be racist and they feel this pressure that these movements create, they throw millions and millions of dollars at them, and it's just going into their 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 pocketbooks. Like they're just going right into their into their pocket. Like. They are living these these lies, and they they they're buying these multi million dollar homes, and they're benefiting off of people's stupidity. Like it's yeah, yeah Colin Kaepernick. He's just uh, I don't know why people take him seriously anymore. He's you know his actions speak for themselves, and I think it's been abundantly clear where he, where he stands. Yeah, I think less and less people take it seriously. More people do understand it's a grift, but. You know, certainly a lot of people still actually believe in what these these people say. And and I would say for a lot of the the Black Lives Matter-esque people, um, you know, you mentioned Kendi. I, I remember a similar story with Black Lives Matter where I think the founder bought a multi-million dollar house in an all-white except for her neighborhood. So, so yeah. much about living with your community – and being very anti-white, um, there you go. You're living among white people. So how anti-white could you be? So look, anti, anti-white and CRT, it's the hot thing that's selling right now. And if you're, if you're smart and you're woke, you just give what the corporations want. I mean, you have huge speaking fees for these really mediocre authors i mean tv like i should we write a woke book and then start coming out as these crazy left authors and start making 50k a pop if, if we go to colleges i mean maybe that's our play maybe we do that undercover for a few years <laughs> build up, retire live uh invest enough in bitcoin so we can do that and then then we'll just do this pot after that but it's it's almost like the the intelligent person that's on the left if they're devious, they can be a woke author and, you know, next thing you know, they're a millionaire. Yeah. It's, it's like, I remember um, when, uh, you know, kind of just all the, this, these uh, social justice movements happen, like the George Floyd um, 
uh, killing happened and all that. Like, I remember just like a lot of my friends just feeling a lot of uh, guilt about the entire situation. And they bought books like Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility. And um, they're trying to just like do their part so that way they can signal like I'm not a racist person. Like I'm an ally like, and just try to feel good about themselves. Well, you know, what I did was like, I actually was curious. So one of my friends had the White Fragility book. So I actually read through it because it's easy for me just to hear like excerpts of it and criticize. But I was like, you know, I want to be better than that. So I actually read through it. And I have to tell you, I didn't read the entire thing to be to be clear, but I read about like a quarter to a third of it. And God, I wish I could get that time back. But there was literally nothing of substance or value when I was reading. Again, it was like your classic like wokeism, just a lot of like fancy buzzwords get being accused of being racist before you're even aware of it being accused of racism from the second that you're born i mean it's all just like the this, this virtue signaling uh bs you know, it's just it's just like trying to tell you what a horrible person you are just that simply living in society makes makes you complicit and makes you an evil person um, so you, you end up leaving this book just not understanding, like, really, what can you do that's, like, positive other than just just telling yourself what a bad person you are, and that is in itself a way of healing. Like, how do, how do people even listen to these people, like, and, and think that they're, they're actually, like, smart and they're, they're experts? It's, it's honestly, like, if you fall into this, it's simply because you feel guilty for whatever reason. Uh, and, and that reminds me, like, a lot of people, like, I, I went to college with, uh, I, was, I was talking about this with a friend who also went to, to school in the city that, that I did. But you, what you have is, like, a lot of these college-educated people that a lot of them came from very wealthy families, and they felt guilty about being given a silver spoon in life. So they, they try to, like, say all these, like, woke things and stuff like that as a way of, like, making up for it so they feel less guilty. But they're so detached from reality that they'll never have to suffer the consequences about the things that they're advocating for. So like if they say things like defund the police, they're going to live in their beautiful mansions, gated communities. Um, so they'll never have to deal with the repercussions, but the minority communities that actually live in there, they suffer from that. They suffer when there aren't police. Like they actually don't want that. They, their their, their uh, towns get, get more dangerous when that happens. And that's just one example, but um, you know, not to go off on too much of a tangent here, but like that kind of just like that guilt and that trying to virtue signaling that just encompasses why people like a Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick and a Ibram X Kendi have a platform. And it's it's really it's like pretty disgusting. Like it's we got to stop giving attention to people like this because they're just profiting off of your stupidity. It's it's, you know, people need to wake up. You totally nailed that. It is the guilt. And then for corporations, it's buying off the risk that they would be accused of racist. So yep. if you're if you're a big business out there and you say, hey, look, we're going to have this Kendi guy come in, talk to our senior leaders. Maybe they even do a book club where they read his book and read White Fragility, have her come in as well. If we do this, then we check the box that we're not racist, that we're working on diversity and inclusion. Anyways, um, I know we were trying to end on a lighter sports segment, but uh, of course, it always ended with a, another rant. Uh, but, uh, you know, things like this fire us up. But um, look, that's the point of this podcast here. This is your safe space, if you will, to uh, to talk about these things and realize, like, 
you know, just because what you see on the media may be one thing that there's actually people who do agree with you uh, and they're good people, well-intentioned, but we have a different way of thinking and uh, we embrace that. Uh, we embrace free speech uh, and, and, all, and freedom of expression. So we're going to keep doing this pod. Um, SB, do you want to do you want to take us away with anything? Yeah, the, the only thing I'll say is that we actually had several more topics at hand to get to, but the wokeness was just too much and we ended up uh, going above and beyond. So we will uh, save these for the next episode. And yeah, I think when, when we record later in the week, I, I'm really pumped about this Bitcoin conference. I think that's going to be, you know, you might be listening to this pod on, on Tuesday and you know, the price might already be up uh, from where we recorded. So that could happen again. So I'm, I'm pumped for that. And we also got um, at least one new segment for you guys uh, that we'll introduce on Thursday, which should be fun. And we'll bring a little more levity to the pod as well. So, yeah, beyond that, I got nothing. Uh, I got we got a couple more days to to uh, make sure that we survive in the wokeness. And then, um, you know, we'll be back at it soon. Yep. Well, it'll be great to be back for uh, our 12th episode. So we'll see you. We'll see you at all uh, uh, over the weekend. Take, cheers, all right, everyone. Cheers, guys.